Amen, amen, amen. Thanks, guys. So we're in uh, for the last few hours of 2018. We're looking forward to 2019. And I know that there are some of you in the room today or watching from wherever you are uh, that are beginning to think about creating New Year's resolutions. And some of them are new, uh, but every study that I've looked at says that those individuals who, who write New Year's resolutions are usually repeating the same one you had last year, the year before that, and the year before that, and for the last 5, 6, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 100 years, you've been writing the same New Year's resolution. And then for those of you who are not even bothering to think about writing a New Year's resolution, and you're not bothering because you know that as soon as you write it, it's going to be out the window. It's not going to have any impact. It's not going to have any influence in the way you live your life. And so you've decided that you are no longer going to write New Year's resolutions. Am I right? So, I like when I write a New Year's resolution. I like when I speak them. They sound good. Kind of gives me that goal for the year. But I'm just like you. I write them, and a month later or a day later, I'm just going back to what I was doing before. So what do we do about that? See, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between what we hope and dream for and what God hopes and dreams for for our lives. There's a disconnect. And what I want to try to do this morning is to give you a connection point between or how the vision of God's picture of the preferred future can be so real for you that you're leaving behind all those things that are not God-driven and just claiming what it is that, that is God-driven. So there's a phrase that I want you to write down. Go ahead and take out those teaching notes. There's a phrase that I want you to write down this morning that I believe that will literally have a complete, uh, powerful impact on your life over the next several weeks, and I pray for much longer than that. And it simply says this. What is God's picture of the preferred future for my life? What is God's picture of the preferred future for my life. See, many of us have been so engaged in what the world thinks is, is what we should be aiming for, and so we spend all this time, all these years, writing resolutions uh, that are focused on the global world nature of life, and we have left behind that picture of the preferred future that God wants for us. So I want to simply say to you, what is it? What is God's picture of the preferred future for you starting today and all through 2019? Because I believe if we listen carefully to the spirit of the living God in this room today or wherever you are, uh, that we will experience something new and fresh 
for our lives. And I want new and fresh in 2019. So we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's, it's entitled Toolbox for Life. Uh, I'm going to be in my workbench uh, over here uh, during this series. I'm going to try to give you tools uh, that will help you uh, to uh, not only know what is happening in your life and why things may be happening in your life, and also give you tools on how is it that you can live more focused on God's picture of the preferred future so that you can live a life that is filled with hope, love, joy, peace, those four gifts of the Advent season of the Christ child. So, um, yeah, let me stop there. So here's what we know. Uh, I went to Barnes & Noble Bookstore not too long ago, and and I looked there at the self-help section of the bookstore. And you know how many aisles there were? I mean, just one aisle after another after another. It just kept going on and on and on. And in, 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 in summary, uh, all those help books today are saying, if you have the right desire and the right determination, you're going to be able to achieve whatever it is that you want in life. And I, I just happen to disagree with that completely completely disagree with it. Uh, I believe that what God is saying to us is that we have to have desire, we have to have determination, but the the third component that we have to have in here is what are the skills? How is it that God has wired us up individually and uh, collectively as the body of Christ today, individually, so that we can live out our vision and our goals, our dreams that God wants for us individually? And as long as we listen to what the world is saying, we're going to continue to live in confusion. As long as we listen to what, <clears throat> to what the world is trying to say, here's a picture of a preferred future for you. If all we're doing is reading self-help books, and, and, and you know that one of the largest purchasers of self-help, self-help books are people that are in the church. And there's only one book that I know that is really a, a self-help book. Anybody want to guess what that might be? Thank you very much. So uh, in in your uh, bulletin today, in your program, you'll find the outline of what we're going to be doing here in this series. And I simply want to invite you to come and be a part of this. Uh, I will also say I think that this is going to be a series that uh, people uh, from uh, from the community that you know that are not part of the church, who are non-believers or nominal believers, uh, that this will be a, a really good opportunity for them to come and, and hear something uh, that uh, I think they'll have ears to hear and be able to really focus on uh, what about their future and what, how can their future be different. So I just want to invite you, on the other side of your teaching notes, invite you to have that out with me today. So let me give you a, a foundational passage of Scripture that I'll be using all during this series. Uh, it, it is a passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, and, um, and it, it says this, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now look at this. <clears throat> I promise to be very careful. <clears throat> so if the axe is dull and unsharpened, <clears throat> We're not going to be able to do what we we need to do. 
And people, we, we get to this New Year's resolutions, and, and we think that by writing a New Year's resolution that we're sharpening some kind of tool. We're not. And because there's nothing there to drive us. There's nothing there to connect us. There's nothing there to really hold us for the, for the long term, for longevity. So well, what the Scripture is saying is uh, that uh, we need to sharpen this, this blade, get it sharp, because the work that we have to do then won't take as much effort. And then we connect the skills to it. And when we connect skills to it, it is then that we're going to succeed. But too often, we're just going along in life with a dull blade. We're just dull. And, and, and we need to look at ourselves carefully to say, I don't want to be dull anymore. I want my blade to be sharpened. So I take very seriously what I do here on Sunday mornings uh, and, and, and want to teach you uh, about what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ uh, because I, I think I'm called to, to equip you. Uh, the, the modern for, phrase for that is I'm called to coach you. And I, and I do want to coach you. I do want to uh, give you lessons that will be uh, um, practical and, and lessons that will help you achieve a future uh, that you dare to hope and pray for. Uh, but if we're content, are you listening? Are you listening? Uh, are you listening? If we're content with a dull blade, if we're content with dull lives, we're going to be the same today and tomorrow and five years from now. We're going to be the same. But if we choose today to sharpen our blade and to live out our lives in such a powerful way that God can use us and mold us and transform us, and for some of you that's common language, others of you are hearing that language and saying, I have no idea what that means yet. Well, good, I'm glad you're here. But I just want you to know, that I think God has a plan for you, and I think God wants to help you. So here's the first thing I want to share with you today. The first tool I want to give to you, and, and it's simply this. I want to help you, I want to help you learn how to deal with negative people. So I decided to look at uh, Webster's Dictionary. Uh, the, the definition for naysayer. Uh, here it is. A naysayer is a person who says something won't work or isn't possible, a cynic who habitually expresses pessimistic views. Have you all ever met a naysayer? Please raise your hand. Now, I didn't say raise your neighbor's hand. I said raise your own hand. <clears throat> okay? Now, we, we all have met naysayers. There's not a single one of us who hasn't had the influence, the impact of negative people on our lives. And, and, and God is just saying, uh, that, that's not what I want for you. Uh, but we, we have to learn how to live with them. See, nothing great has ever been achieved without naysayers being involved. Uh, think about um, uh, Old Testament, a guy by the name of Moses. And um, Moses is the one who God says, uh, go, go to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of captivity, into, the, into freedom, into, uh, out of slavery, into freedom, out of bondage, all that good stuff. 
And, and so uh, he, he leaves uh, and he has thousands of people, the children of Israel, following right after him. And he goes onto the desert. And now there's a problem. The challenge is, how many years did he wander in the wilderness? Forty. Thank you. Now, do you think there might have been a few naysayers in that 40 years? Yeah. There are a bunch of them. Or, or what about um, a more contemporary, a little bit more contemporary? What about um, uh, the Wright brothers uh, in flight? How many people uh, looked at them and said, you guys are crazy? And, and I just took a 14-hour flight a few weeks ago from Israel, Tel Aviv, to Miami. Isn't that amazing? But it, they had naysayers. Or, or what about um, uh, uh, JFK, John, uh, President John Kennedy, uh, saying, we're going to go to the moon? How many naysayers were there? How many naysayers are there still today who don't believe that ever took place? Still a lot. And so we have these naysayers. Now, let me just share with you. I do not want to give the opinion or give you, make you feel or make you think uh, that I'm, I'm speaking ill about naysayers. Uh, I'm not. Um, naysayers need to be loved. No matter how hard they make it. They do. And, and why do I say that? It's because that's the lesson God gives to us. That we're called to love all people. Unconditionally. And so we've got to understand that they are, uh, they, they have this challenge. And, and, and in particular, naysayers in your life. Can, can, don't, don't say their name because they may be next to you. Uh, but don't, can, you, can you identify this very moment? Who is a naysayer in your life today? Can you name them? No, don't, don't say it out loud. See, here's, here, here's the challenge. A naysayer will speak negativity into your life mostly because they do not know what it is that God has spoken into your life. Or they're unwilling to accept that. I think that uh, we have all been given uh, a dream by God, a vision by God, a mission by God, a purpose by God. I believe that. And, and there are people all along in life who are saying, no, 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 no. They're naysayers. Folks, what we must learn to do is don't add fuel, but only add love. Okay, I, I'm seeing some elbows being swung. I had five people, literally five people, leave the last worship service and say, my ribs are sore because of my husband or my wife or whatever. Okay, naysayers. So let me, let me talk about a story that we find in the Bible that, that, uh, that tells us about how to handle naysayers or uh, negativity. Uh, it actually comes from uh, 1 Samuel, which is an old a book in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, and, and it begins with verse number 12, where I'm, where I'm going to pick up. It's a story, uh, a very familiar story for, for many of us in the church, that is the story of David and Goliath. What we know is that David was a young boy, the youngest of, of eight boys, 
uh, and we know that he was a shepherd uh, taking care of his flock in the Bethlehem area. And we know that Goliath was part of the Philistine army, and the Philistine army and the uh, army of Israel were uh, in battle against each other, and they were about ready to, be, uh, to fight. And we have this Goliath, who is eight feet tall, who is speaking uh, to the Israel, Israelite army, saying, um, uh, why don't you all choose one person, and if you can find one person that can defeat me, uh, then we will serve you, my people will serve you, but if I win, then you, your people have to serve my people. And so that's just a kind of synopsis. But before we get to that story, most of us just want to jump to that story, we have to understand that little young David uh, first had to go through three battles uh, to be able to be able to stand before Goliath. There were three naysayers in his life uh, that, that, that were trying to uh, get him to go back to Bethlehem and take care of the sheep. So let me just share with you these three very quickly, okay? We just have a few minutes together. The first is this. Um, uh, his father, David's father, held him back. David's father held him back. Look at this text, uh, verses 12 through 15. Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army. Saul was the king of Israel at the time. But David was held back to take care uh, for the sh- to take care of the sheep in Bethlehem. Circle the word in your, in your text there, held back. David was held back by his father. So let me ask you, in your life experience to date, has there been anyone that has held you back from being and becoming the person God wants you to be? If there is, name them quietly in your mind. See, a lot of us have experienced, this, have experienced that time in life when we are held back. Some of you ask me, Tom, how do you remember all this stuff? I have these little tricks in my mind. But I remember a lot of things because I, I, I assign an acrostic to it. So I want you to write on your teaching notes the, the word age. A-G-E, age. And so what I, what I have found in society and in life today is that many people are held back because of their age. Now one of the things that I've uh, come to realize now, this is, I'm in my sixth year uh, of being your pastor, and uh, learning that we have a large population in southwest Florida of um, retirees and those who are approaching retirement age, I find that uh, in my counseling that there are a lot of people who say, Tom, I, 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 have, the, I have the ability to do everything that the, these people want me to do, uh, but they look at my age. I'm a 61-year-old person, and they look at me, and they don't want to hire me. They want to hire a younger person. And, and so we, we face this issue of ageism. And, and while it's against the law to be a, to, to be involved with ageism, uh, it, it is just a matter of fact. Uh, the G stands for gender. Now, there are uh, women in the crowd here today who could speak far more eloquently about this than I. Um, because I know 
uh, that there are so many women who have been held back from positions uh, because simply uh, you're a woman. Uh, and, and, and then if, if that's not bad enough, then you just compound it by the reality uh, that if you do get the job, uh, then your compensation is going to be lower than a male counterpart. Uh, and uh, all I can say about that is that's a sin. That's a sin. And, and so we have this issue of ageism. We have this issue of gender. And then we have this issue of, uh, of education. Uh, some people uh, are highly educated, and they go for a job interview, and, and they're not given the job because what? They're too highly qualified. Or there are some who don't yet have the educational qualities or uh, experience, and they are underqualified, at least on paper. Or there is this one issue, and this is an issue that uh, we need to deal with more and more here in our congregation. And as we look at 2019, I want to encourage us to really do some inward looking at this issue. And that is the issue that some people are held back because of their ethnicity, because of the color of their skin. Now, I talked about coach a few moments ago. I think you can tell the difference in our skin color. It's not too difficult there. And, and Coach and I will tease around about that. We teased around before. Uh, but, but this is not a teasing matter. And, and as I look, just look around the room. Now, I recognize Southwest Florida is predominantly uh, an Anglo community. But that's not where I came from. You know, um, I came from Miami. And, and Miami, uh, we, the Anglo community is the minority. Uh, we are, uh, my, Anglo community is about 30% of the Miami population. And, and so this does not reflect the kingdom of God. And so I, I just want to say, I think we are holding people back uh, because uh, somehow we are communicating a message that says that whites are welcomed, people of color, of whatever color, are not. I can speak personally to that. Um, many of you know that uh, a few years ago, uh, we had, uh, when I was a superintendent in Jacksonville, we had a covenant relationship with the, uh, uh, with the Havana District of the Methodist Church. The two children of the superintendent made it to the United States, and um, they came to live with us. Now, I'm going to say something that you all are not going to like hearing. But when we moved here five years ago, my children, who I call them my children, Mario or Dario and, and, and Denysis, um, they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't. And, and somehow, we need to open our eyes and our ears to... How is it that we're holding people back? Uh, intentionally, consciously, and, and, and subconsciously uh, as we live our lives. And I just want to lay that on the table for us to have a conversation, an ongoing conversation 
about how we address this issue uh, together because we can't do it in isolation. We need to do it together. So uh, people were held back. David was held back. Uh, the second I would say is uh, that when we look at the story of David and Goliath, everyone was afraid. The children of Israel were afraid. Uh, they were afraid because this, this giant Goliath, uh, some eight feet tall, uh, was coming out every single morning uh, and every single evening. He would go out there while the, while the armies were uh, ready to go to battle, and he would go out there and he would start chanting. Uh, he would probably say things that we can't say in church, uh, you know, trying, to, trying to, uh, to, to really tantalize them, trying to make them make a move. And, 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 and what happened, though, is, is that they were filled with fear, they were filled with anxiety, and they were terrified. Because this one person kept on talking to them, talking down to them every single day. Uh, some say for 40 days. Some say longer. Look at this passage of Scripture. Each day Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of, the Israel, of Israel's army, uh, why do you come out here and line up for battle? Choose one man to fight. If he's able to kill me, he will become, uh, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, then you will become my, our subjects and serve us. And day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, uh, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. When King Solomon and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. So let me ask you, who is it in your life right now that is speaking down to you? Who is it? Do you have someone currently that is speaking down to you, that is causing you to be afraid, that's causing you to have these anx this anxiety in your life, that's causing you to be terrified? Let's not be ignorant. Let's not say that that doesn't happen in families. It does. And so, uh, who is it uh, that is speaking to you? Who is it that has a loud voice in your mind today? And who is it that you need to stop listening to while you still love them? But who do you need to stop listening to in order to become the person that God has created you to be? That picture of that God's picture of the preferred future. And then the third is this. His brother questioned his motives. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, David asks, what's the reward for killing this Philistine and ending this disgraceful abuse? When David's older brother heard uh, this, he, he burned with anger at David and said, why are you even here anyway? Why aren't you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep? Then David said, can't I even ask a question? It happens in our relationships. We have people that put us down. All David was saying, hey, tell me, what, what's the reward for killing this guy? And his brother uh, said, you know what? Just shut up. 
you're such a scrawny little kid. You couldn't do anything if you really wanted to. The studies today say, university study, these studies say that only one out of ten people, only one out of ten people ever really reach the picture of God's future, that's my language, the picture of God's future for their lives. And the main reason is because of negativity. And the question I have to ask you, who's the naysayer in your life? Who is the one who is taking a skill saw and just uh, literally just cutting you up in pieces? Who is that person? But here's my last sentence. Who are you a naysayer for? Who are you the negative force for? We can't talk about them. It's also us. So David faced all this. He faced all these trials, tribulations. He faced... Uh, just uh, being, you know, being holding, holding back. So I ask the question to you, who's holding you back? You know, second question is, who are you afraid of? Third question is, is there someone near you that you need to love but not listen to? Let's pray. God, I pray right now that somehow in the midst of just sitting in this room or wherever people are watching from today, that somehow we may decide to find some new tools, tools that we can live with, tools that you can help create in us, skills that we can create because your spirit is active in us so that we can find new ways of living life, new ways to share life, new ways to receive life. So come, come Holy Spirit, and be with us today, I pray. Amen. Amen.